0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: If copyrights are a measure of women's long-term rise in economic participation, trends show progress but still a ways to go. A recent study by the U.S. Copyright Office shows that over a 40-year period, women's share of registrations rose from 28% to 38% in 2020. Here with analysis, University of Minnesota Business School professor Joel Waldfogel. Professor Waldfogel, good to have you on. Nice to be here. And the Copyright Office Chief Economist, Brent Lutz. Brent, good to have you back.
2: Hi, Tom. Great to be back.
1: And let's start with the genesis of this study. What was the purpose of it and how did it come to be? I guess there was a collaboration here between academia and government. Joel?
0: Yes. So I spent the last year at the copyright office, well, it was virtual because of COVID, but as uh, the Kamenstein Scholar, what that means is that I was working on copyright issues, you know, taking time away from my academic appointment, although I was still in my academic appointment. But most of my research is on copyright, so it fit pretty well with what I do. In any event, the question before me was to update some earlier work examining what share of copyrights have been granted to women authors. Last time this was looked at was around 2012, and there had been progress between 1978 and 2012 but what had happened in the ensuing eight years. That was my sort of first task. And the answer is that it continues to rise. It had gone from about 28 percent in 1978 up to over 38 percent by 2020. And it varies a lot across categories, but that just general growth reflects an increase in women's activity in this area.
1: And Brent, the summary of the study references a change in copyright law that happened in the late 1970s. And how does that figure into this?
2: So in a practical sense, the change of copyright law is the point at which we started collecting and retaining data in a digital form that allows us to do this sort of research.
1: Got it. So you had the database available, therefore, that might not have existed before that. Rather, you would have had to go through millions and millions of pieces of paper. That's exactly right. All right. And what can we make of this result? There is a substantial 10 percent statistically significant rise in the number of copyrights granted to women. But if you look at popular culture and you look at entertainment and book writing and songwriting and all of this, it seems like women and men participate equally. So why the disparity, do we think, in the rate of issuance of copyrights?
0: Well, copyright covers a variety of different kinds of media, and it is different across different groups. So take the one called Non-Dramatic Literary Works, but we know it as books. That one, uh, the female share, has surpassed 50% in the last few years. In other categories, for example, machine-readable computer programs, it's substantially less, although it has risen substantially. It's risen, like, by a factor of three over this period. In the copyright topics related to movies and music, it's risen more slowly, and it's on the order of a quarter to a third. But books, I think a big headline result here is that we've surpassed 50 percent. More than half the authors in non dramatic literary works are women.
1: All right. Interesting. And Brent, what does this say then about the copyright process, if anything? So I think it tells us that
2: I think, as you mentioned at the beginning, there's still gender disparities that exist. They're increasing. But I think it also gives us a good framework to understand why those disparities exist and what are the factors that may propagate them or mitigate them, which I think is an important second step that we intend to look into in the future that will help us develop some very targeted and evidence-based policy
1: We're speaking with Brent Lutz. He's chief economist of the U.S. Copyright Office and with Professor Joel Waldfogel at the University of Minnesota. And the ability to create and get items that are available for copyright, of course, begins downstream of the copyright office itself, or maybe it's upstream, but it's not directly in the copyright office. Let's put it that way. So that's not anything the federal government can really control. What might some of the policy options be then to make sure that women do get their fair share?
2: Just to clarify one thing, though we may not directly control the creation of works, the underlying reason why copyrights exist is to incentivize the creation of works in the first place. Joel?
0: Oh, sure. So let me talk about another kind of headline result of the study. On the one hand, we show that the share of copyright registrations that are to female authors, and that's growing and so forth. But it's not absolutely necessary to register your copyright. It would be desirable in some sense to do so. So there's a different question we ask in the study, which is how does the female share, for example, of registrations in books relate to the female share of activity in writing books? And same for other of these categories. And one of the things that we find that's a little bit, I think, thought-provoking for us is that basically the registration share lags the activity share based on occupation data by an average of about 20%. So women seem to be very possibly less likely to register conditional on creating stuff. Now we say we have to hedge that a little bit because the data on activity aren't, you know, airtight. But still, there's at least a suggestion that there may be some room to go to get more registration, even conditional on having done the work. I should finally mention, though, that that gap, that sort of shortfall has declined over time. It was like 25, 30 percent, 20 some years ago. Now it's more like 10, 15 percent. So it's shrinking, but there still is a gap that's worthy of sort of exploration. And policy could perhaps encourage registration conditional on having done the the creation.
1: Right. A parallel comes to mind with the Census Bureau, which has to make sure that every population group is counted. And so they have this elaborate and expensive and well-developed program of outreach to very small relative communities, but many, many, many of them to make sure that everyone in those communities is counted. So it sounds like the Copyright Office then could develop outreach programs, maybe look at the application process itself in such a way as to garner more so that the activity share gets closer to the registration share or or vice versa. Brent?
2: I think you're right there. And we do have substantial outreach we're always looking for ways to better target those efforts. And I think this gives us a good source of information and a good way to target those efforts. And to the extent that we could figure out exactly why those registrations are lagging, potentially come up with more targeted policy beyond outreach.
1: Sure. And any particular forms that might take in mind yet, or are you still evaluating that?
2: Like I said, it depends on figuring out why they lag. You know, if it's a matter of not understanding the benefits of registering one's copyright, for example, then I think outreach and education would be an appropriate policy for that. But again, I think, you know, as I previously mentioned, the second step of this research is figuring out the why. I think Joel did a really good job of figuring out the what. Once we figure out the why, then we can develop the appropriate policy solutions.
1: And relative to, say, a patent application where there's this very elaborate process of verifying that it actually is patentable, you've got examiners looking for all the prior art, et cetera, et cetera, with a copyright, if you write a novel or you create a computer program, is there any adjudicative process to ensure that it deserves a copyright or is it you apply and you get it?
2: So it's not quite an apply and receive setup. There are examiners who look through it and make sure that it meets the appropriate criteria. And, you know, I'm not an examiner and I don't know the particulars of what they look at, though my understanding is that it is perhaps less intensive than the patent examination process.
1: But if I tried to copyright Moon River, it probably wouldn't go through.
2: I doubt it would, because I assume that the examiners would understand.
1: <laughs> Let me ask you this. We have now a good picture and a moving picture over time of women versus men applicants and I, I imagine you don't ask racial or other demographic makeup of those that are applying for copyrights. But is it possible to understand some of the other axes of ratios here, say racial or ethnic and so on, that are not asked?
0: I mean, we can study gender relatively easily because the names are on copyright and names are very highly correlated with gender. So it's really easy in the aggregate to say stuff about gender. Race is not there. And there are sort of fancy statistical ways to try to do it. But it's I think it's dicey and and unclear. Geography is something that I think will be very studyable.
1: Therefore, there's maybe the opportunity to match geographic against census data. And then perhaps you could have at least a way of extrapolating some potential racial disparities.
2: You're right. We don't have that data currently. You know, we're exploring ways to potentially get around that fact. But I think, as Joel mentioned, some of those ways are a little bit dicey and not credible.
1: Right. So you couldn't get a statistically supportable picture, but you could get a picture that gives you an idea of where you might need to direct policy or outreach.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, in some respects, we can't get a statistically credible picture, but that picture would be limited in many ways. So we couldn't get perhaps a detailed Significant picture.
1: Is it possible legally or under regulation to have a voluntary question for copyright applicants? (laughs) Let
2: me be careful with that because I'm not a lawyer, (laughs) and I don't want want to uh, dispense any sort of legal advice. I'll say that you know, on the patent side, there's actually a bill in front of Congress right now trying to understand whether it's appropriate and useful to have such a voluntary survey go with a patent application. And, you know, I think it's worthwhile for the copyright system to also at least start thinking about that. And, you know, at the moment, we don't have plans to ask that of Congress.
1: Okay. So in the meantime, then this study on female participation in copyrights will be something that the Copyright Office is looking at and perhaps developing ways to get at and make more equality there.
2: Yeah. And I think we should think of this as not necessarily all of the answers, but a very significant first step towards those answers.
1: Brent Lutz is chief economist of the U.S. Copyright Office. Thanks so much for joining me.
2: Great to be here, Tom.
1: And Joel Waldfogel is a business professor at the University of Minnesota behind that study. Thank you very much. My
0: pleasure. May I add one thing that I think is also important to mention here? Sure. In addition to doing this study, I think the Copyright Office has also made public for researchers all of these data from 1978 to 2020. This is a huge step forward in transparency and modernization, and it will allow outside researchers, inside researchers to potentially answer questions we haven't figured out yet. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. I think it's a great accomplishment for the office. It's
2: the largest, most complete data set on copyright ever released anywhere.
1: We'll post this interview along with a link to that report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.
3: Hello, I'm White House CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. It's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here.
3: Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to a, as a leader and what about them inspired you? You
4: No, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all, but I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old. And uh, I remember I really wanted to play little league baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know.
2: Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at GrifflesPlasma.com. Grab a 30 day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle.
0: Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.